Today I wanted to uh, just cover the subject of unity. It is a very important subject, very, very important, because it is one of the uh, ways, I would say the chief way, God bestows blessing. And it is the chief way that the enemy cuts off the blessing of the Lord that he intends to give to the people. This is one of the most important subjects that I think would, would be spoken to a group of human beings. The verses for today come from uh, a number of places, but one of the chief places, you probably have also read this, it's a very famous verse found in Psalm 133. It says here, how, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the, on the head running down upon the beard, as on beard, Aaron's beard, the oil which ran down upon the edge of his robes. Verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is closely coupled with a couple of other verses from the Bible. One is Psalm 67. I'm going to read that in a second. And also Jesus talks about something very interesting in the subject of unity when he is having dinner with his supper with his disciples, the Last Supper. He speaks these words about unity. As he speaks to the disciples, he turns around and offers up a prayer. And in that prayer to the Father, he says, Father, that they may be united as you and I are one. They may be one. So that the world may know that you sent me. Astonishing words. Cause and effect words. This, therefore that. Psalm 67 lays it out also in a very interesting way. It says here, the Psalm of David, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your may, way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God, may they praise you. May all the peoples praise you. May all the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with fairness and guide the nations on the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us so that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Cause and effect again. We see how many places God blesses the unity in this blessing turns into the knowledge and the fear of God. Unity, blessing, the knowledge of God. One of the stories in, in, in this subject we see is a beautiful picture of Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis. It starts from chapter 37. You can read it. 
But the story of Joseph is, is interesting in this way, is that he sees dreams. He's the last or the second last of, of, uh, of 12 brothers. And he's one of the younger ones. In other words, Jacob had him when he was quite old. And so Jacob loved him to the, to the point that his brothers are now jealous and they hated him as a result of this favoritism that Jacob used to. But, but it's interesting because it says here Joseph was the son of his old age. And you can see here a grandfather's heart towards almost Joseph. You know how you're, uh, you guys can attest better than I, but I've seen it in, in, my own, uh, in my own life, in my own family, how much grandparents love their grandkids, right? And this is the kind of scenario that's going on. It's, it's, it's the rest of the children take notice. And so Joseph, not just the love, but he's also uh, prophetically gifted. He sees dreams. God shows him dreams. But not being so uh, careful and wise, he tells the dreams to his brothers. And these dreams are such that it actually shows that his brothers are going to serve him. So he tells them that. And they hate him even more. So over the course of time, and the story goes on, and, and, uh, and, and uh, it happens that the brothers lay a trap for him. They, they, they grab him, they tie him up, they throw him in a pit, and they intend to kill him. Somehow they relent from killing him, but they, you know, one of them rescues him from the pit, sells him to some Ishmaelites to take him down to Egypt and sell him as a slave. So now he's there for many, many years as a slave. He works in a, in a particular uh, person's house that had purchased him as a slave, and he, he causes this man's house to really prosper, and then something crazy happens with the wife, ends up in prison again bound what did he ever do to do th this all because his brothers sold him off into slavery so joseph ends up there and there there's again that prophetic gifting is working uh, i'm not going to go through the whole story but it ends up through some in incredible events joseph ends up being at the top of the governmental structure of Egypt, second to only Pharaoh. Now he is the governor of the land. And now there's a famine in the land. And these brothers and Jacob and all, they, they're, they're needing food and they send the brothers down to Egypt to buy food. Who do they see? Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And so the story in, in, uh, in, in Genesis 45 is how Joseph reveals himself to his brothers it's full of tears it's full of emotion it's full of yearning for the for his heart to be reunited with the brothers it's uh, it, he's 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 yearning to make himself known but at the same time he's torn because of all of the anguish that he's felt before he's he's he he speaks harshly with them. And then he goes into the back room and he cries. And then he speaks harshly with them and lays a trap for them. And he goes into the back room and cries. So all of this, it's God is working out everything that is necessary for this reunion with his brothers. And finally, when he is reunited and reveals himself as Joseph, says, don't worry. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Listen carefully. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. 
For God sent me here ahead of you to prepare for you in this time of famine so that you would not suffer loss. You would not come into poverty. What God is preparing is beyond our immediate two-dimensional, one-dimensional world. God prepares things in ways that we can't imagine. A famine here, abundance here. Something that the brothers did may have caused the famine. It's not written. I don't know. It's possible. But famines in the Old Testament used to be called, caused by sin in the land. And so it's possible that what had happened brought about the famine. But Joseph was now set up as a savior for not just the family, but all of Egypt, all of that region. He was set up as the savior, all because of what had happened to him, sold into slavery, gone into, into really unjust situations. It wasn't his fault that he was thrown into prison. It wasn't his fault that he was a slave. He was, he was even forgotten there. There were, there were two guys that had come, the, 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 the cupbearer of Pharaoh and the, and the baker of Pharaoh had come. Each of them had seen a dream. Joseph had interpreted these dreams. He says, remember me when you're back. To, and they had forgotten him. Unjust injustice throughout and then all of a sudden it just turns all of a sudden it just turns surprising situations everything that God had prepared that seemed to be like God what are you doing what are you doing all turned around in a second Joseph is now governor his brothers are bowing down just like the dreams that he had seen and he saves them from that. How beautiful it is. Zion is the mountain of God. And constantly you, you read throughout the Bible, you see how beautiful are the mountains of God. The Zion, how beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But you don't hear much about Hermon except this dew on Hermon. What is Hermon? What is the significance of, her, of, of Hermon? Hermon is at the northern part of Israel. This is the mountain where Jesus was transfigured. And this is right at the base of this mountain is where Jesus says, it's upon this rock I will establish my church. This mountain was the place where in that time there was the most demonic activity going on. It was as though God had set up Israel to be his nation on the earth and Satan had set up just a stone's throw from it, not quite, but I mean a few hundred kilometers, but uh, there, right there, staring down Mount Zion was Mount Hermon. This is right around the area of Bashan and, and uh, on these giants that... I'm going into too much detail, but, but this was the place where the most demonic activity took place. And now we also read that, that God is yearning for that mountain. His heart, God's heart, is all about redemption, taking things that the enemy has conquered back into his fold. What the enemy has taken, taken possession doesn't belong to him. He wants it back. The, war, the people of the world that the enemy has taken, Jesus wants him back. 
all of those to be brought back into the place that God has established at the, as the place of where he pours out his goodness, his love, his provision, his everything. That's why we see, like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains now, the, this Hermon is part of the mountains of Zion because God takes it over, all because of unity among God's people. Unity among God's people causes the boundaries of the kingdom to expand. Now, here, why this is a very important subject to consider is that whenever there is there is a, a, an open door for pride. And as soon as pride comes in, there is separation. There is disunity. Why is this an important subject? Is the same reason why it's a very difficult subject. Because mankind has been separated from one another, starting from Mount uh, um, the Tower of Babel. Even through um, when we see the, the, the Christians come together in unity, each revelation has caused them to separate. And we see that in the Protestant church. Little bits and pieces here, but I'm going to fast forward to this point. Is that we are poised for disunity. Are we are disposed. We are predisposed to separate from one another based on our opinion, our pride. Even the Protestant church today, everywhere where there is one revelation of the Lord, we see this separate out and become a church on its own. And not just a church on its own, but also become an enemy of the other churches because they have the, the, the revelation. And so this separation creates disunity. And this un disunity stops the blessing of the Lord. Yeah, we've got great revelations in the, in, the, in the Christian church today. But one revelation that is very difficult to come by is the unity of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ suffers as a result of that. You see something, I see something, boom, we're separate. You hold yours and I hold mine. The body of Christ is made up of many organs. What the church today is experiencing is similar to the heart saying to the lung, why are you pumping air when you should be pumping blood? And the lung saying the same thing. And so they separate and they place themselves in essence essentially outside of the body, saying that no, the body has to be doing this. No, the body has to be doing this, the body has to be doing this. And every time there's disunity in the body of Christ, it's almost as though I am taking whatever authority I have as a Christian in the government of God, I'm handing it over to the enemy, saying, here you go, it's yours. Disunity, here you go. Here's my authority. Here's my authority. Here's my authority. Every single uh, YouTube video that you see of one Christian getting up and speaking about all of the things that the other Christian groups are doing, all they're doing is just giving up their authority, giving up their authority, giving up their authority to the point that the authority of the church goes from here down to the floor. And then the enemy has free reign 
over the land. Do whatever he wants. Bring in whatever sin there is. Just ra rampage, rampage through the land in everything that we see. And we go, oh my God, this land is so sinful. Do you know why? It's simple. The church has no authority to stand. The church has no authority to stand. It's simple. Every time you open a video, a YouTube video, and you see a Christian person or a group speaking about someone else, Satan is in it. As true as it might be, Satan is in it. And that disunity is his tool to cut off the blessing from the church. Cut off the blessing from the church, which would result in the world knowing who Jesus is. Matthew, uh, Matt, uh, John 17. That they may be united so that the world may know that you have sent me. Simple. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Psalm 133. Psalm 67. These are the cause and effect ones. John chapter 17. Now it's interesting that, that um, in... In Romans chapter 11, God talks about the disobedience of the nation of Israel. How when Jesus came, they rejected him. They stepped essentially into disobedience because Jesus was their Messiah, prophesied in all of their scriptures. They were expecting him to come, but when he came, they didn't recognize him and they rejected him. So therefore, they stepped into disobedience and so their disobedience caused the Gentiles you and I to come into the faith somehow grace was poured out as a result of their disobedience it's all in Romans 11 but it's not that now we become boastful and say ah look at their disobedience I'm the obedient one they're the disobedient no in their disobedience, we see our own disobedience. Because this is what the verse says. It says, God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. What an astonishing verse. What God is saying here through the mouth of Paul, he's saying that, look, you think you're right and you think he's wrong. You're wrong, you don't see. But you're both wrong. And I'm going to have mercy on both of you. And you go, wow, how does that work? And so we become boastful in our posture of what we see as being wrong. I'm right, that's wrong. I'm right, that's wrong. God is saying, not so fast. You're both wrong. And I'm going to work it out in such a way so that I can have mercy on you and on that, on that person. What Joseph went through, we have no idea why God was working. Well, we have an idea. There's a lot of teaching on, that, on this very subject. But God took Joseph through some really hard times. The brothers were wrong. 
He was right. But he went through it. And God had mercy on both. This is the key in this verse. No matter what we think or judge, when we stand in what seems to be right and judge what we see as being wrong, there is enough wrong in us as well as them to draw the full mercy of God on both. You think you're right. You think he's wrong. Step back a moment. This is how God brings about unity through his mercy, through his grace, in that when we see in humility what we see God is doing in us, in our disobedience, because none of us can throw a stone. It says, he who is righteous among you, let him cast the first stone. No one threw the stone. The verse right afterwards, what I just read you, for God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. This is Romans 11.32. The 33rd verse says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and, and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who can give him counsel? Do you know what God is doing? Not many of us do. This is the last verse in chapter 11. From here... We go into the famous verses of chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies of li as living and holy sacrifices to the Lord. We know that verse, but we don't recognize how God is working in the depths of our heart so that our disobedience receives the mercy of God and we also dispense the mercy. Who knows what's going on? The only thing that we need to be concerned about is unity. Not what I've done right and what he's done wrong. Within the Christian realm of what the Lord has revealed of who Jesus is, there's so much disunity. So much. And from there, when I read to you from, uh, from Matthew 15... No, I haven't read you this one. Matthew 15, 18, it says, But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and those things defile the person. The defiling is what brings us down to a place where God is not. This robs us of authority that we might have had from God. It places in our hands the weapons that are no different than the weapons this world has. What weapons do we fight with? Paul says in, in, uh, in Corinthians that our, our, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty in pulling down strongholds. But the weapons that we prefer to have are the same weapons as everybody else. Have you guys seen the movie Schindler's List? Anybody? You, you have? Wasn't it interesting that, that the factory that Schindler had was uh, had Jew Jewish people working in it, right? And what were they making? They were making bullets for aircraft, right? 
but they, they were making bad bullets so that they would miss fire in critical times. That's what the enemy is actually doing to us. Since like, what you want, here, here, take this weapon, I'll give it to you, here you go. And then when you go to use it, it actually misfires. It has nothing against the enemy. It does nothing. Yet we're adamant to hang on to it. We're adamant to stand in the, in the place of disunity, think that I'm right, that's wrong, and that's a carnal weapon. It, the enemy says, yeah, it's a good weapon. Here you go. It's a good weapon. It's blanks. It misfires. It does nothing. But the weapon that God gives you the unity is powerful because it carries with it blessing. And when that blessing is on you, people can't help but come to the Lord. They can't help but fear the Lord. We think that in our strong and, and knowledgeable posture, we're going to debate our way into evangelism. We're going to debate our way into know, letting everybody know who Jesus is. Now, I don't get along with my brother, but I'm going to tell you about Christ. I don't like him, but I'm going to tell you about Christ. Has no effect. And then when we see the no effect, what do we do? So oh, this world, going to hell in a handbasket. Look, it's just evil, it's just running rampant, and, and nobody is believing anymore. But we never once consider that the cause might very well be, remember I told you cause and effect? The cause might very well be the things that I'm harboring in my heart against my own brothers and sisters. Jesus said, when you go to the altar to offer your gift, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. We don't do that too often. Yet I can tell you, as a confession in my own mind, that many times in worship I have remembered the situations that I've been through in my life as a Christian. And the people that I have interacted with and we're no longer together for because of one reason or another. Yet I can tell you how many times I've taken the steps to leave this place, I'm, I'm being dramatic at this point, I, I don't mean for this to happen in this way, but imagine the dramatic drama happening in this way. I'm worshiping the Lord and I go, oh, get up, leave. Don't wait. I've never done that. But imagine what it would look like if we acted every time, we acted every time, something sparked in our hearts, in our memories that says, this brother has something against me. So after this story about, you know, the things coming out of your mouth, this is what defiles you. Immediately we read about the story of the Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, and she now Jesus is inside and outside of Israel, and, uh, um, and she is running after them constantly begging for Jesus to heal her daughter. And he's not paying any t attention to her. And she keeps after him to the point that the disciples are now annoyed, saying, send her away. She keeps running after us, calling after us. But she says one thing that's really interesting. She says, she cries out. She goes, 
Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. I think this is the key that moves him immediately, recognizes, he recognizes great faith working in her and heals her daughter. Actually, he declares over her great faith. He says to her, he says, O woman, great is your faith. Not many places Jesus has done that. O woman, great is your faith. I think the, the fact that she declared son of David was the key because in, in the time of David, the, um, the kingdom expanded to include Sidon in many other areas. And in the Psalms you read that when people are right with God, even the enemies are at peace with you. And so therefore, the heart of God being right with David, the boundaries of his kingdom just expanded, not by war, but they just expanded because people just came in. And she recognized that he is the key, the personification, the, the whole embodiment of unity was Jesus Christ. Son of David, have mercy on me. And so the blessing that is there in the nation of Israel, she craved for, she, she longed for. Son of David, have mercy on me. This demon should not be in my family. This demon should not be in this land. Let the boundaries of your kingdom extend so as to drive out the demons in this life. Drive out the demons in this land. We become comfortable with the demonic activity around us. We're comfortable. We, we, we grow accustomed to it and, and we, make, we make a place for it. I've given this example a long time ago. It's like if you're going along and your journey is supposed to be a straight line from this point to that. But you come across a boulder, so you take a turn, you shift around, you shift around until you finally get to your destination. So, so that your journey was not a straight line, but it was a meandering thing. All because of these obstacles, right? So you get there and you look back and you see this. And that becomes what you tell your children and everybody else. This is how you do it. And so they pick up the meandering path as being the way to do it. Do, do you get the, the abstract? Do you get what I'm talking about here? If Jesus says this is the way, and because of demonic activity, we find our way, different way, it doesn't mean that this is the norm. Yet, disunity has become the norm. How we handle our doctrinal position is the norm. The norm right now is that if you are a teacher, a well-respected teacher in the, in the Word, get on YouTube, tell everybody, all the unbelievers, the whole world, the position of your doctrine and the wrongness of all the other ones. Calling out names of preachers that are wrong rather than approaching each one of them individually and seeing what organ they hold in the body of Christ. What organ do they hold? Are they cancers? We treat them as such. But they are actually organs. Would you consider the denominations in the Christian church today to be the different organs, the different limbs, the different members of one body? A left hand, and a right hand, 
an eye, a nose, an ear. It could be. The Lord shows a revelation to one group, and so they're off on their own worshiping and, and being true to that one revelation. Somebody else sees another revelation, and they're off together seeing this revelation and worshiping here. What business do they have throwing bombs across to one another? Disunity. And then the enemy sees it and goes, yes. Beautiful. Let's build this one up. God's heart in these verses is for unity. God's heart is not to cast off Israel now that he has the church. God's heart is to bring back Israel into the fold. Whatever way, I mean, the, the counsel that God uses is beyond our understanding. Often, most times, it's beyond us. We don't know how God is working to bring Israel back in, but he's doing it. We don't know how this group that separated out, how God is bringing them back, how God is working the situation, the situation in my heart, in your heart, in that person's heart, to bring back unity, to bring back into the family, to bring back. But God is doing it because his intention is to bless you, to bless you and to bless you and to bless you. But cause and effect is a big deal with God. It's a big deal. We only see that God wants to bless, that God wants to love, God wants to pour out. He wants to do it, and it is in his heart, and that nothing will hold him back. But some things will delay it. May not cut it off, but he will be delayed because he has to now work that in you so that you can be the recipient of his blessing. He won't just bless you but he will change you so that you will receive his blessing. What does that change look like? It's difficult to say, but what does it look like? Will you consider what I'm telling you today in that unity is how God blesses? And wherever there's disunity, the blessing of God has been throttled whether in the family, whether among friends, whether in a Christian context or outside. Because we are as human beings, we are social creatures, we have been created with unity in mind. Families function, whether you believe in the Bible or not, families function according to the principles of God's design. They function, they are blessed, they are united. When you take a prideful position and say, I'm right and you're wrong, and you separate, the blessing stops. Bang, just stops right there. But when there's honor, when there's, when there's love, when there is uh, uh, recognition of the value and the worth of the other person, and you submit yourself to that, and you say, hey, you know what, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I think this, but I could be wrong. Make room for the complement of the other perspective. Make room for unity. Make room for reconciliation. Make room for love. 
whether it's between churches or between individuals or between, doesn't matter. Make room. And when you make room, a different revelation comes down. One that accompanies the blessing of the Lord. And that blessing, you don't need to speak. In that blessing is, is, a, is an outpouring of the fear of God wherever you go, wherever you go. And we don't recognize it. We don't recognize this. It's foreign to us that something would shift without me saying a word. An atmosphere in a room would shift as soon as you walk in. We don't recognize something like that. It's foreign. But imagine if something like that actually existed, and it does. Imagine it's so powerful that it just clears out poison from a room. You walk in, and the poison is cleared. You forgive sin, and it's forgiven. As soon as you walk into a room, the poison is cleared. There's one organ that does that. It's the liver. Have you ever seen your liver? You might have seen a liver, probably a picture on the internet, but I don't think you've ever seen your liver. And if you, if you hadn't seen that, you probably or you know, never knew that a, an organ such as this even exists. The job of the liver is to clear out the poisons in the body. It could very well be that as we stand united, that we could be called upon to be this honored position in the body as being the liver, to clear out the poisons that are building in the body of Christ. In unity, we would clear out the poisons. Through our forgiveness, through our love, through our unity, we would allow the body to become healthy again to function in the way that it was supposed to be functioning rather than walk around maimed and limp and without limbs and without this organ, without that organ, just a, just a grotesque figure that is not at all what God designed. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's desirable. Have you ever looked at something that's beautiful? Just can't take your eyes off of it. Whether it's a piece of art or a person that just happens to be extremely good looking, you just kind of stare. I mean, it becomes a little bit creepy, I know, but, but you, know, you understand that the design that we have is that we are attracted to beauty. The world is attracted to beauty. That's why God, Jesus, is called the desire of the nations. They don't even realize how, how, how much they desire for him. But as soon as they are face to face with his beauty, it's not the offense we go, oh, the world, Jesus is so offensive. No, 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 no. He's beautiful. They can't take their eyes off of him. In that beauty that he possesses, he possesses it through the church. We reflect that beauty, or not, or not, but we can. I think through a simple act of repentance, a simple individual act of repentance would look something like this. Lord, wherever I have offended, I am sorry. 
whatever has offended me, I forgive. And if the Lord, if Lord, you give me opportunity to ask for forgiveness, Lord, I pray that you give me the grace in the Holy Spirit to go do it without delay. And whenever I am faced with someone asking me my forgiveness, that I would give it unconditionally without rubbing it in their face. Perhaps Joseph was rubbing it in their face. I don't know. But Lord, give me the grace. I will not rub it in their face, but I will just dispense grace in the way that you have dispensed grace to me. Because after all, Lord, you are placing all of us in a place of disobedience so that you can have mercy on all of us. How dare I, Lord, how dare I, Lord, to take a presumptuous position that I am right, they are wrong, judge them. Lord, you will be judging me. And please do. Lord, judge my heart today. Let what we have seen in these verses that speak your heart about unity. Romans 1.5, look at what it says. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Repentance. Lord, let our minds be renewed so that you may prove what, will, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body's parts do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, individually parts of one another. So Lord, in Jesus' name, we come to you in repentance. We say that wherever we have been instrumental in causing disunity, or we have jumped on board to whatever was causing disunity and we have agreed with it, gone with it, promoted it, established it, reinforced it, Lord, we repent today so that through the unity that exists in us as the members of your body, Lord, that we would be blessed. Lord, bless us. Bless us that the world may know the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.